doesn't matter how many other gurus are out there that you think have already cornered the market. There are people that can only hear about productivity from you because of their resonance with who you are, your story, how you'll present things, what you have to say. The uniqueness that God put you on this earth with can only be expressed through you. And if you don't express what you have to share, the world will have lost something truly irreplaceable, you. I am Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, everyone. I want to introduce you to a very special guest in the Mind Valley podcast. I have been dying to get Marie Folio on our Mind Valley podcast. I bumped into Marie about 10 years ago when she was just starting out a career. And my God, what a powerhouse she is right now. Now, that statement, powerhouse, isn't just from me. I want you to remember the name of this book. It's called Everything is Figureoutable. I just started reading the book and you know me, I read so many books, and it's rare that a personal growth book so grips me. But this book is remarkable. The writing style is amazing. I'm a geek for good writing. And I want to read you a paragraph from this book that I loved. So Marie is here with me. She's listening to this right now. And Marie, I, I love this line from Everything is Figureoutable. Like sea salt crushed over fresh capri salad, you'll find swear words sprinkled throughout these pages. I write the way I speak, raw and from the heart. <laughs> Love that. And this book is such a trip. So remember the name, Everything is Figureoutable. Remember the website, mariefolio.com, because you're going to want to look more into her as we progress. But let me tell you about Marie Folio, okay? So Marie, she quit her job. I believe it was on Wall Street to become a coach. She was one of those people who jumped into coaching like in the early 1990s. And I know... Today, coaching is a fast-growing profession. In the early 1990s, people are like, what on earth is a coach? Marie, in her book, wrote about how she at first wanted to study psychology. She walked into a psych class at university and walked out four minutes later when the instructor said, welcome. Everything you're going to learn here is about how your parents effed you up. And she said, I don't want to be in a class that makes me blame everything on my parents. And she went forward in life, experimenting with different things. She was selling glow sticks. She was helping promote club parties. She worked in Wall Street. And then eventually she became a coach. She became a writer. She wrote a series of remarkable books. She became a brilliant digital marketer. And today, get this. If you go to mariefolio.com, you'll see what Marie Folio does right now. Her program, Marie Folio B-School, is legendary. I want you to check out the website and check out the testimonials. Many of you might have seen Mind Valley's Stories Engine, a testimonial engine. It was inspired by how Marie shared her students' stories. Click on success stories, and you're going to be blown away by how this woman is changing the lives of people all around the world, primarily women, but men as well, and helping people reach financial independence, start the business of their dreams, and totally kick freaking ass while doing it. So check out mariefolio.com. Marie, welcome to the Mind Valley podcast. 
Oh, Vishen, thank you so much. And I just want to say for everyone listening, as Vishen mentioned, we go way back. And this is such a mutual admiration society because Vishen and I have been friends for a really long time. And Vishen, I just want to thank you for everything that you put out into the world. You've been a friend and someone I'm inspired by consistently. I love your passion. I love your rawness. I love how you're always pushing the boundaries and you help so many people. So this is just a joy for me to be here with you today and to be with everyone in the community. It's awesome. It's so good to see you again. So funny story for everyone who's here. And when I have a host, a guest, sorry, that I've met prior, I like to share stories about them, observations about them. I pride myself on being a people observer. And I remember the first time I met Marie. So it was 2008. And I was in New York with my then wife and our baby boy, Hayden. Hayden was less than one year old. And I remember messaging Marie and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. Can we meet for coffee? And the first thing I want to say about Marie is that she was nice enough to say yes. Hardly anyone knew who I was. Marie had written a best-selling book, yet she met me for coffee. I remember my then-wife, Christine, and I were really nervous as we met Marie. And because we had a baby with us, we had to bring the baby to this cafe. It was in the West Village, Marie. And Hayden was there, and Marie shared with me her insights, her inspiration. She was an amazing listener. I remember I was so blown away. But here's what happened next. Hayden lets out a kick and kicks Marie's coffee, and it goes all over her, and she's completely drenched in coffee. And I'm thinking, oh my God, she's going to walk out of here. She's going to be so upset. And both me and Christina were freaking out. But Marie, I remember you let out a laugh. You said, oh, I totally understand parenting, right? And then you stayed back, and you continued talking with like coffee all over you. (laughs) And that's where you earned so much respect from me because of your humility, because of your compassion, because of your kindness. So that is my Marie story. And I just wanted people to know the woman behind this huge website and this huge empire. Oh, thank you. It's so, I was thinking about, it was in a restaurant called Snice that's no longer there because of course all the places change over. But it's Mm -hmm. just, it's kind of nice, I think, especially in the world of personal development and professional development to have colleagues and to have friends that you know and that you've watched grow throughout the years and that you can see grow years into the future. And I just, again, your community, they're so passionate about growth, so passionate about challenging themselves to get better and grow better and do better and be better in the world that this is like, it feels for me, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm the best podcast ever. Thank you, Marie. So are there any Marie Folio fans over here among a live audience? Here's what I want you to do next. You'll see there's a Q&A box that just opened up and I'm going to give you the rights to ask questions. You can upvote other questions. Now, by the way, if you have read Everything is Figureoutable, you can ask a question based on the book. If you're part of Marie Folio's B-School, please share in the chat what you think of B-School. And you can also ask questions. I want you guys to know I am not an affiliate for B-School. I'm not incentivized to promote it or anything. I'm just telling you about it because I have friends who have taken it and it's damn good. I have employees who have taken it. So I just want you to know there is no financial exchange over here. Just want to share books and teachers and programs that I have so much respect for. Okay, so go ahead and post questions in Q&A and vote the top questions. Now, we're going to find the three top questions. I'm going to put you live as a panelist, and you are going to get to interview me for five minutes. Okay, so go ahead, ask a question or vote for top questions. Now, some of you are asking, where do you see the poll? It's called Q&A. You will find it if you click on the Q&A button on Zoom. Marie, I want you to share a little bit about your backstory. In Everything is Figureoutable, 
you told this remarkable story about your mom, and that's something I really appreciate about you. You really, really acknowledge your parents. And you spoke about how your mom would like fix everything in the house, how when there was a leak in the roof, rather than pay $500 for someone to fix it, she would just find unused asphalt in the garage and go and fix it herself. I'd love to know what were some of the qualities that your parents drilled into you that made you who you are today? So my parents both didn't grow up with very much at all. And in fact, my mom grew up in poverty in New Jersey. She had two alcoholic parents. So she really learned by necessity how to stretch a dollar bill around the block. So frugality, being really industrious, digging in, rolling up your sleeves, being able to make the most out of the very little that you have, that was something that both of my parents installed in me. And also I think the qualities of work ethic, because we didn't have much, I saw both of my parents work so hard and were so committed that no matter what was happening in our family or what was happening around them, they figured the way to solve it was through digging in and hard work. My dad was a small business owner. And I remember so many times he taught me about, you know, how you take care of people is you over deliver, like you prize your clients. And there would be times when clients, he ran a printing business when they would call up and something, you know, the, you know, what had hit the fan and they needed to get a particular job out in order to meet a deadline and no one else could do it. And they would call my dad and my dad would be like, okay, it kind of sounds impossible, but you know what? We're going to make this happen. And we would go into my dad's shop, just a tiny little shop in a basement, a printing shop. And my parents taught us how to turn work kind of into a party. So again, you have to realize this is the 80s, right? So we had like a boom box. We're Italian-American. They would order pizzas. So there'd be like music blasting. And my dad would always give me a legitimate job. Like even though I was small, there was things and pieces of the puzzle that I could contribute to helping to meet this outrageous deadline to over deliver for their clients, which is how we put food on the table. So I feel like the qualities of persistence, I feel like the qualities of digging mm-hmm. in and doing work, of finding a way to bring joy and celebration, even when things are stressful, those are some of the qualities that I witnessed in my family that I feel still serve me today. And I try and share I those in that. our content because work's not always easy. You know, I am a big believer in us aligning ourselves as much as humanly possible with our greatest strengths so we can be in our genius zones. But let's be honest. I mean, 2020, right? A global pandemic, what hit us, what we had to navigate and go through, not fun. But if you are able to dig in and be resilient and find little possibilities to inject joy, to inject camaraderie to inject a sense of we are going to get through this and we're going to try and have as much Mm -hmm. fun as possible while we do it. All of a sudden, your immune system stays in a pretty strong place mentally and emotionally. You get to relieve a little bit of that stress. So those are some timeless qualities that, you know, we talk about and everything is figure outable many, many times, but those are some of the things I picked up from my parents and they're still like that to this day. I love that. And there's something about you. There's this this beautiful playfulness about you. Can I share some old photos? Yes. Are you kidding me? Do it. Okay. Okay. So let me share my screen. I'm going to share some interesting photos. So after you forgave me for spilling coffee all over you, Mm. I remember we met up at a conference in Washington, D.C. I dug up this photo. 
Yeah. So you can see this is 10 years ago. By the way, you haven't aged. You're still the same from a decade ago. You can see this is before, this is back when I was chubby, guys, before I got on Wildfit and 10X and before I grew a beard. And then this photo, thank you. This photo is all of us in a lobby about to go up. So this is a conference called Underground Online Seminar. It was a conference on business and entrepreneurship and marketing. And that's us meeting with drinks in the lobby. After the conference, you'll recognize some other names there like Jeff Walker and so on, waiting to go up to a party. And I remember everyone was just mingling in the lobby. Everyone was drinking, just mingling in the lobby, but not really moving anywhere. And I remember Marie walks down the stairs, okay? And I remember this so, 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 so powerfully. And she stands in the center of the lobby And she snaps her fingers and she says, come on, bitches, let's get this party started. And then she walks out the door to the club or the party room in D.C. where we're meant to go. And everyone just follows her out, like with the snap of a finger. So that's one of the first memories I have of you. Come on, bitches, let's get this party started. And that's why when I read that line in your book about how you sprinkle F-bombs all over your writing, I'm like, yeah, that's really her. And I love that about you. You're so freaking badass. Do you remember things that I literally do not remember this at all, but it sounds so exactly true. But I'm like, let's do this. Getting people dancing. I love you. Like, thank you for, first of all, even having these photos and telling these stories. It's like, we need to do this version. Like we need to do us 10 years later because we're even better than we were before, in my opinion. Absolutely. So here's what we're going to be covering in this podcast, right? Now, there are three things, Marie, that your team said I should ask you about. And I want to make sure, oh, by the way, that's the cleaner behind me. I don't think she knows. I'm in my office here in Tallinn. So the first thing is the habit that makes you 42% more likely to achieve your goal. So we're going to talk about that. The second thing is how to overcome a lack of time and a lack of money when you're building your business. And the third thing is how to deal with criticism and imposter syndrome. So those three things we're going to touch on in this interview. So stay tuned. So before I bring on the first audience question, let's actually start with that initial question. Marie, what is the habit that makes it 42% more likely you'll achieve your goals? Okay. So you guys are going to be like, oh my goodness, this is super basic. But as you know, Vision, common sense isn't always common practice. And this is why we have Mm -hmm. to go back to the fundamentals sometimes before we can get to those advanced tactics, before we can get more subtle and into more nuanced things. So the habit is this, write down your goals. Studies show, in fact, a study by Dr. Halverson showed that we human beings are literally 42% more likely to achieve our goals if we simply write them down. And this isn't about magic. Well, there is some magic to it, but in a very literal sense, it's about focus. Vision, one of the things that I did, I had this dream when I was writing the book, which by the way, I was horrible at writing this book. I was so stressed out. I was putting so much pressure on myself. I wanted so badly to make it as good as it could possibly be. Mm -hmm. And I was driving myself bonkers. And one of the things I did every morning, I didn't just write down my goals for the book. I had a very specific goal, which was this. I wanted to the best of my ability to set up this book to be a number one New York Times bestseller. And you and I both know because we have so many friends in the industry and so many authors, you can't control that, you know, especially if you're doing it completely organically, mm-hmm. right? It's one of those things you just kind of hope for, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But here's what I did, Vision. I took that idea, that simple habit of just writing down goals, and I went mm-hmm. further. I wrote down, I am a number one New York Times bestseller 15 times 
every single morning in my journal for probably about 18 months. I still have all the journals in my drawers in my house. 15 times every single morning. That is so interesting. Every morning. And it was using the words, I am. It was just, I am a number one New York Times bestselling author. I am a number one New York Times bestselling author. And my intention was around this book. Again, completely consciously knowing, first of all, that that is an arbitrary goal. Second of all, there's a little bit of ego involved. But third of all, I also knew that if I could at least get on the list or maybe get to be number one, the most important thing for me wasn't about the title for myself. It was about the fact that that would get this book and this message into more hands. It would give it that extra little bit of credibility that would hopefully get this idea out. And one of the things I wrote about in the beginning of the book was this, a friend of mine who is the CEO of Shopify, I ran into him in New York while I was working on the book. And by working on the book, I mean, stressing out over it. And Toby is his name. He's like, you know, what are you working on? I said, I'm working on this book. And he's like, why are you writing a book? He's like, that's a huge project. Your business is going great. You have so many other things going on. Like, why did you say yes to this? And I said, Toby, you know what? If I were to get hit by a bus tomorrow, and I could only leave one thing behind, it would be this idea. If I can do a good enough job explaining this philosophy, this belief, and the profound transformation that it can spark in every human being, then I can be like riding off on the unicorn, my cosmic next adventure going like, all right, I did it. Peace, bitches. (laughs) Taking it back to 2010. But that was the feeling I had. So this idea of writing that down every single morning. And it was like 5 a.m. when sometimes I would be so blurry eyed and I didn't want to do it, but I did it every single morning, 15 times. And when the New York Times list came out the week after we published Vision, I like broke down in the ugly cry. Like I could not even breathe. I was partially exhausted because we were on tour and I was traveling around and doing just like a ton of stops or whatever. And partially just so humbled and so emotionally, just like an emotional release. So that's the habit. The habit, it's so simple. Write down your goals. If you want to supercharge it, if you want to take it to that next level and you have a singular goal that you're working on right now that is more important to your heart than anything else, write it down 15 times a day. We all know we have something called the reticular activating system, that part of our brain that Mm -hmm. helps us sift and sort what's important and what's not. And on the most basic level, writing your top goal down every single day, 15 times will give you the focus that you need every morning to not get distracted by shiny objects and to do everything in your power to activate that goal and to help bring it to life. So cool. So cool. So what you said reminds me of something I read Scott Adams write about. Scott Adams is the creator of Dilbert. He wrote about how he was very skeptical about psychics and healers. And one day he met an energy healer who correctly diagnosed a skin rash he had under his armpit that made him a believer. So he started asking her for more advice. And she said, write down whatever you want 20 times on a piece of paper. So he started writing down like really things that ordinary engineers, he worked at Bell Labs at that time. I want to make money in the stock market. I want to make money in the stock market. And he said he woke up one day with a dream where he saw the word Chrysler. So he put money in Chrysler and the stock was going down, 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 down. So he thought it was a stupid thing. He's probably going to lose money. But all of a sudden that day, there was some new news. Chrysler exploded and he made a ton of money. He said he went on to start applying this to make money in other companies, to get into the Berkeley MBA program, even though his GMAT score was way below the threshold, and eventually to become a syndicated cartoonist. He said the odds of submitting a cartoon to a major newspaper and being selected were less than one in 10,000, but he wrote it down. I am 
a top American syndicated cartoonist, and Dilbert was born. And so there are other people who have said the same thing, and it's worked in mysterious ways for them. So I just want you guys to pay attention to that and take that idea seriously. And Scott Adams, again, you can look him up. I believe the book he wrote about this technique is The Dilbert Future. He created an addendum to that book. It's a comic book, an addendum talking about this technique. It's really mysterious, but it works. So, Marie, we now have 557 people joining us live right now. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up the questions and we're going to bring someone on stage to ask you a question. Okay, so there's a question here by Kristen. And it's a question on building competitive businesses versus collaborative businesses. So, Kristen, I'm going to make you live and you will be interviewing Marie. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Hi, everybody. Hey, y'all. Hey, Marie. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So my question is about this vision of the future where we live as one. Many of us live in this assumption that we are one being expressing ourselves uniquely. And I'm just wondering how maybe you're seeing B-School beginning to move into teaching this collaborative model as opposed to and maybe you don't, I haven't taken B-School, but I'm just wondering about this, so much is about competition and how can we move into making the world work and still being successful as entrepreneurs? Let me read out the question that Kristen put because this was the exact phrasing that got all the votes. Kristen asked, what are your thoughts about shifting from a competitive business model to a collaborative model? Marie? So I think one of the biggest, most destructive myths that is current in society is one of scarcity, that there is not enough to go around and there's not enough of the things that we need most in this world in terms of the most basic necessities like food and sustenance, or when it comes to love or creativity or even money. And factually, when we look at the data, when we look at the science, all of that is not true. And so I think the notion of first, and we do talk about this in B-School, by the way, it is a program and my philosophy in business is one that is rooted in abundance, meaning there's more than enough to go around. You know, I often explain it like this with over 7 billion people and counting right on the planet. I'm sure we're even close to 8 billion people right now. Mm -hmm. There are more than enough clients and customers and opportunities for everyone to thrive. And I believe when each of us really hones in on our unique gifts our unique perspective, or not like, I want the entire market. No, you think about, well, who am I best suited to serve? Who am I at my highest and best? And who can I serve at their highest and best? One of the things we talk about in our programs is when you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody. Let's look at the example right now of just Vision and I. We're colleagues. I don't consider Vision a competitor. Even though we both may talk about personal development or business development, I'm not competing with Vision. We're colleagues on a mission to help the world become more growth-oriented, to live their best lives in whatever that looks like for them. But we need all of the teachers. You know, I talk about a story in Everything is Figure Outable about this fact, this notion, what holds so many of us back is this idea that it's all been said before, or it's all been done before, and that we don't have anything unique to contribute. So back to your question, shifting from a competitive business model to a collaborative business model, I believe that has to start from within. And you have to dismantle this notion that in order for you to get ahead, that someone else has to lose. That is a zero-sum model. It's also called 
the fixed pie fallacy in economic theory. And it is one of the most destructive things. So I think, Kristen, for all of us, one of the best first steps to take is to not buy into those false narratives and to know that when we're building our business and when we're becoming successful, that doesn't take away from anyone else's success. We don't have to live in this binary place where if we get ahead, someone else has to lose. Again, there's more than enough to go around. And that's probably as far as I can get with this particular question without going too far down the rabbit hole. But hopefully that helps just create a context that it's an inner shift that can help create the outer shift that I think we're all really hungry for. Exciting. Very exciting. Thank you, Marie. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kristen, for your question. Kristen, I'm going to make you an attendee. And I want to bring up, I actually want to bring up any Selfo, any Selfo is a community manager, any ask the second question. And this is such a fun question. So any, I'm going to bring you up so you can go ahead and ask this. Okay. So I'm making you a panelist right now. Any, whenever you're ready. Hi, Marie. Hi, Vishen. Hi. I'm a huge fan of yours, Marie. I've been following you for over six years, and this is where my question comes from. You embody the identity of a successful woman who created your empire around who you are. You're playful, you're feminine, you're so authentic. So I got to look up to you and learn from you on how to do that and how to show up as me in the world. But when you started, what was your source of courage? to choose to show up so authentically with your playfulness and femininity particularly. Thank you so much for this question. And thank you for even just paying attention to our work for years. I so appreciate that. So here's the truth. You want the real deal answer? The courage came from pain. And here's what I mean by that. When I first started out, I was trying so hard to be someone else because I had this idea in my mind that I probably formed when I was a little girl about what a successful businesswoman looked like, how she should act. And it was involved with this. Again, this is like taking it back. I grew up in the eighties, right? So I imagined a successful businesswoman would probably like have some corner office in a high rise building in New York city and have like a suit with shoulder pads and like wear high heels and pantyhose and authority voice, just like strong and talking and blah, 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 blah. And also there was a big thing for me about like intelligence and high levels of education. I don't really, I'm the first in my family to go to college and I'm from Jersey and I don't always use proper language. I fumble over my words. And when I tried to create content, when I first started off, it was so stilted. It was so stiff. It had no personality. And guess what? It had no results. It was terrible. And so the pain of working so hard and not having anything work and feeling like I was banging my head against the wall. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't be this professional business person. And the other thing was this, I was so young when I started coaching. So I was 23 years old and I was completely aware of how ridiculous this was. Who the hell is going to hire a 23 year old life coach? Like I hadn't even lived life yet. I had piles of debt. I had failed in all these different careers. Like nothing made sense, but I had the heart. And so the big shift came when I had banged my head against the wall so many times trying to be like different than who I was to get people to like me. And I was like, this is bullshit. I can't do this. I'm not built this way. I have no filter. If people are going to like actually want to hire the real me, they need to see the real me. And that was the shift. I really had no other choice because it felt like I was dying a slow death to try and pretend to be someone else who I really wasn't. 
Thank you, Marie. And I really want to tell you in Mindvalley, we speak about the importance of choosing which identity you want to embody and having you in the world. You are the identity I want to embody. <laughs> so thanks so much. You. Thank you. Sending you so much love. And like I've told Vision, your team, everyone at Mind Valley, I'm such huge fans of you guys. You are doing such brilliant work and you're making such a difference in the world with getting this transformation material out to people. So good on y'all. Thank you. Thank you, Marie. Thank you. I appreciate that. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider joining Mind Valley All Access. Now you can sign up to Mind Valley All Access and unlock every Mind Valley program instantly. Get access to transformation from all of the world's best minds in everything from parenting to biohacking to mind, body, spirit, entrepreneurship, work productivity. Learn from the likes of Ben Greenfield, Jim Quick, Shafali Sabari, Stephen Kotler, and more. All available to you for less than $2 a day. Simply visit mindvalley.com forward slash now. That's mindvalley.com forward slash N-O-W. And you'll be surprised to see that Mindvalley All Access now comes with advanced technologies to completely transform your learning, your networks, and your human connections, including our new private social network for students, Connections by Mindvalley, and our Altered State Inducement app, Ombana, which complements our regular training with Altered State methodologies to transform you at a subconscious level. Check it all out on mindvalley.com forward slash N-O-W. Mindvalley.com forward slash now. For years, before I started coming out more on video, my team would show me videos of you and say, Vision, you got to get in front of the camera. You got to be like, Marie, I'm like, I don't have that. I can't do that. You're so good um, at it. I've just been on your Instagram. Now, you are now, damn good at it. Now, but prior to 2018, I only got an Instagram like summer 2018 when Jay Shetty told me I need to be on Instagram. I'm like, but Jay, like, I don't know how to do this. Like literally my social media presence is only two and a half years old. I had to learn this, but I was shy. I felt inadequate. I didn't think I'd have anything to share. If you look at my Facebook, I wasn't sharing anything like three or four years before. So anyway, you've been an inspiration to me as well. I wanted you to know that. Now, Marie, there's something about you which I find really interesting. You're very certain and confident about what you want. In your book, Everything is Figureoutable, you tell a story about how you were walking with your parents in Manhattan. It was in the West Village in Bleecker Street. And you suddenly decided as a young woman that this is where you wanted to live. And you held your hand up and you said, this, this is where I'm going to be living. And your mom, you said, was a little bit like offended. Your mom is like, no, but we live across the river. We live in Jersey or wherever you were living back then. Where does that certainty and confidence come from? So I think that particular story, I was around like seven or eight years old. So I was a young child and it was a little precocious thing to do. So at that age, the only thing I could potentially attribute it to, and this is pure speculation, is a natural knowing. I think that divine connection that we all have to something greater than ourselves, I feel in many ways, like part of my life is to simply be a channel and to listen and then to speak and share. And so the confidence and certainty, I also want to say this, I feel like I oftentimes embody radically opposing things at the same time. So while a lot mm -hmm. of people may watch our videos or even read the book or see my newsletters or social and be like, oh my God, she's so confident. I need to be real. I'm also terribly filled with self-doubt. 
I'm also a person that questions myself. I'm also a person that sits back and goes like, I don't know, is this any good? Like, I don't think it's any good to you guys. Are you going to really like this? So both of those things can coexist. I think that once I've had a chance to grapple with something for a little while and also like road test it, meaning I've had a chance to play with people, use concepts in real life, work with them, coach with them, see how things actually come out, how it impacts them and helps them create results. Then the confidence builds quite naturally. So that happened for me when I started as a coach. Again, I knew internally this is what I wanted to do, but I was very aware that I was like, I don't know crap, (laughs) right? Like I have to build up that track record over time. Same thing with like a program like B-School. I am very confident when we go into our, we only open it once a year. When we go into our promotional period, I get really fired up vision and it's not false bravado. It's because I'm like, I've graduated 64,000 people. And I've literally been approached in grocery stores from women who were on the verge of homelessness, who now run multiple six-figure businesses. And they tell me like their children's education are completely funded. So when I get fired up about anything, like again, about this book, I'm like, no, y'all I've road tested this, please, for the love of all things, holy, just give it a try. You don't have to believe it. Try it before you deny it though, because this is good. So I think any confidence that you detect one, I just want to underscore, it was born from terrible insecurity that I still carry around with me now. And a lot of self-doubt anytime I'm starting something new or I'm stretching into a new zone. And then the confidence side just comes from also, I've been doing this now for 20 years, like starting in 1999 and it's now 2021. You just, I think that's one of the best things about maturity. And that's one of the best things about age is like, you're like, I've been around the block a few times and I've seen a couple things and I've fallen on my face. So it's all going to be okay. <laughs> and I think probably one of the other things, again, not to push it, but Vision, I know you and I are both such fans of books. One of the byproducts of adopting the belief that everything is figure outable is what I'd like to call remarkable resilience, remarkable resilience, mm. and also a bit of courage because This belief, this notion that everything is figure outable is so a part of my cellular DNA that I literally feel unstoppable, not unstoppable in the sense that everything is going to go my way because it certainly does not. And not unstoppable in the sense that I'm like better than anybody else, but unstoppable in this sense that if there is something that I want to learn or experience or achieve or help bring about I am 100% certain that if I'm committed to that, we will figure it out. We will find a way or we will make a way. And when you have that core belief embedded in you, which is what we teach you how to do in the book, Mm. it shifts everything because look at how much our world vision is filled with uncertainty and filled with fear and uncertainty. That's natural, right? We kind of kid ourselves into believing we have some sense of control. But when you have this bedrock belief that everything is figure outable, when you believe in yourself that much, all of a sudden you're able to stand in the tornado of uncertainty because you know without a shadow of a doubt that whatever comes down the pike, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much you cry, no matter how much pain or suffering or confusion or doubt there is, you are going to rise and you will make it through. It doesn't cost you anything to believe in yourself, but it costs you everything not to. Thank you. I like that. And on that note, I want to bring in one of our participants today. So right now we're almost 600 people live and Magdalena, 
I love your question. It is one of the top questions out there. And so, Magdalena, I'm going to bring you on stage to ask your question to Marie. And Marina, we already answered bits of it, but I want you to ask the follow-up because I think your question, Magdalena, given it got so many votes, other people are thinking about the same thing. Magdalena, whenever you're ready, you can turn on your webcam and take over. Thank you so much for letting me ask that question. I was actually wondering for quite a long time. You did answer part of that question. It's due to the feelings of not being enough. What I was wondering about is because I am a coach myself, I'm fairly new and I'm speaking to a lot of new coaches as well. And I know that a lot of us have the same problem because in your wonderful position, not a lot of people talk about the very beginnings. Like when you started, you didn't have much reviews or you didn't have many clients to contest of what you are able to do. And in my niche in particular, I'm a productivity coach. There are massive personas. We all know Brendan Bouchard, Michael Hyatt, you know, massive, massive people who have done wonderful things. But let's say that what I've created, it kind of brushes up on what they do, but it brings new innovative things into the subject. And this is what terrifies me because if something has been in the industry or in the people have known something for such a long time and suddenly you are completely new and you bring something like shattered the beliefs like no it hasn't been working like entirely so I've kind of not made it better but I made something new and I'm terrified of actually going out there saying it to people and just having that block of oh what can you know you're just so new you know what you're asking Magdalena this is the exact wording that you put in our Q&A box yes. I've got all the votes hello Marie could you please talk about the fear of not enough when it comes to business even though you value what you can bring into the world but other things kind of get in your way. Other things stop you. How do I overcome this? Yes. So I want to speak into this because this is actually a big thing. There's many, many layers. So I'm going to go a little bit fast to try and get as much out as I can because I really think it's going to right. serve you. One is that comparison is creative kryptonite, especially when you're first starting out. Of course, you need to understand the landscape. Of course, you need to understand who the other players are and you need to have a little bit of a context in terms of the field that you're entering. We get that. But what I'm talking about, and most of us know the difference, is when you start just constantly comparing yourself to other people. You're going on their social. Everything that you do, it's not done through, how can I best serve my clients? How can I best help the people I'm meant to serve to solve their problems? You're always mentally pinging back and forth and you're always coming up short, thinking yes. that you're not enough. You cannot create brilliance or a blockbuster product or program or breakthrough marketing from that emotional state of mind. I just need to say that for you. You know, I talk about this in the book and I've talked about this for much of my career. When I was in college, I remember I never drank when I was in high school, but when I got to college, I was a party animal. And I remember I used to go to this bar and do these disgusting shots of something called Goldschlager. It was this cinnamon flavored liqueur and it had gold flakes in it. And my goodness, I remember nights like leaving the bar, stumbling out, puking in the bushes because that's what happens when you're in college, or at least that's what happened to me. When you compare yourself to other people, it's like doing shots of compare schlager. You get totally drunk. It screws up your entire system. And you're basically sick with a comparison hangover for days or weeks. And it takes you completely off track. So you got to cut that shit out cold turkey. So that's number one. 
Number two is you really have to understand, and I'm going to tell you a quick story with this. So when Josh and I first got together, I didn't have much money. He was a little more seasoned than me when it comes to health and well-being. I was still bartending, waiting tables. He's an actor. When he would go away to film a movie, I would just go kind of nuts and I would fill up the pantry with like Chef Boyardee and macaroni and cheese in a box and like the most horrible junk food because that's just what I knew. And Josh would be like, you know, we should really start juicing and we should really have these multivitamins. And I was like, whatever, dude, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. This is how I eat. You just go keep your hippie stuff over here. Okay. Fast forward like two or three years. I meet this woman who is a wellness icon. And all of a sudden, her and I basically fall in friendship love. And she's like, Marie, you've got to start juicing. And here's all the vitamins you need to take. So of course, what do I do? I go home and I say, Josh, I met the most amazing woman. She's the number one New York Times bestselling author. She's given me all these juice recipes. And here's all the vitamins we should, we should have been doing this for years. And Josh literally looks at me and he was like, what are you taught? I have been telling you this for years. Why couldn't you hear it from me? And that's the point, my friend. Doesn't matter how many other gurus are out there that you think have already cornered the market. There are people that can only hear about productivity from you because of their resonance with who you are, your story, how you'll present things, what you have to say. The uniqueness that God put you on this earth with can only be expressed through you. And if you don't express what you have to share, the world will have lost something truly irreplaceable, my friend, you. So you've got to get out of that comparison. Anytime you catch yourself doing shots of Schlager, put it down, get sober, and get your message out. And the final thing I'll say about this is you have to know this. Every single human being struggles with the belief that they're not enough. So in any given moment, you are either consumed with your own not enoughness, which means that you're not being of service, or you take your attention and you turn it outward and you're doing your work. What does doing your work mean? Making those videos asking your clients or your list, what are they struggling with so that you can speak into the emotions, their fears, their doubts. So in any given moment, this is something I always remind people of. No two things can occupy the same space at the same time. You might want to write that down. No two things can occupy the same space at the same time. So in any given moment, you're either like, I'm nothing. Everyone's ahead of me. Like that. Or you're getting your work done. You're making a difference. You are building brick by brick, your brand, your legacy that can live alongside in concert with all of the beautiful people that have come before. You're adding to the beautiful mix that we need. Again, just like we started off with, it's not about competition. It's not a zero-sum world. It's not like they've taken up all the people that want to buy productivity products. Let me ask you a question. Have you bought just one productivity book? I haven't. I buy like 70, like everyone on the market. I'm not one person's customer. I am investing in the entire universe of personal growth because that's what we do. So any more time that you spend talking to yourself up here or navel gazing or wondering why you're not good enough, you are stealing from those who need you most. I love that. I love that. Magdalena, I hope that helped as well. And for all of you listening, I know that question resonated with you and the answer especially. I don't have words. I almost cried at some point. (laughs) Of the journey, but it's a beautiful thank you, Thank you so much. And this is why, Marie, I love bringing on our audience to ask the questions because the audience is the audience, and everything we do here is about serving that audience. And when they come in front of the camera and they vote for the questions to be asked, you know, you're really going to be delivering value. Now, with that, 
you also addressed one of the big questions I was going to ask you, which is how do we deal with criticism and imposter syndrome? Uh, Do you feel that more or less wraps it up or is there anything else you want to add? So imposter syndrome, studies show that up to 70% of us suffer from a version of this feeling like we don't deserve our success, that we are not good enough to state who we are or to have any sort of authoritative voice in this world that we know what the hell we're talking about. So that's something that's extremely common. It tends to hit women and people that haven't had a platform, you know, in our generalized society even more acutely because we never feel like we belong. I can just speak to that for a minute because I know when I first started off even on Wall Street, it was 99% guys. And half of the time, I'd say even 75% of the time, I was trying to get them not to hit on me. I couldn't even talk about ideas. So this notion that you don't belong, that you don't have the right to know what you're talking about, to be authoritative. You know, I was watching one of your videos, Vision, and you were talking about sugar. And you were talking about the reason, it's like, yo, you're calling people out. And some people be like, oh my gosh, Vision is so courageous. But when you set aside this notion that you don't have a right to speak out for what you believe in, all of a sudden you start speaking your truth and you start creating the change in the world and making the world the way that you want to see it. So just know that imposter syndrome is very, very common. People like J-Lo have had it. People like Maya Angelou, Jodie Foster. I mean, you go down the line, some of the most important people. So that just tells us that we're not alone, but we have to go further than that. We have to really move past it. A simple way to do it is to create what I like to call is a hype file. What's a hype file? A hype file is just a little folder. It could be digital. It could be something that you print out with sweet notes or words of appreciation or encouragement. If you've made a difference for a client, if even your employer or your boss said, wow, you did a really great job on this particular report, anything that speaks to your legitimacy as a human being, you can put in your hype file. And then when those days when you're like, oh, I don't know, do I really suck? You go in your hype file and you can go just get that little bit of like, you know what? I am pretty good. And you should have a few friends and colleagues who you can call because I don't know about you, Vision, but all of us have times where we're feeling a little bit shaky. All of us can have days where we're like, gosh, I don't know. And so to be able to call up a genuine friend who sees you in your highest and best light, that can be something else that's great. Criticism. One note about that. I have never in my 20 years received a piece of hurtful criticism from anyone that I respect and admire their body of work. And I think Mm. that is so important to note, especially in today's world where people can be so incredibly bold behind anonymous whatevers. And so I think that it really is important to always stay open to feedback, but to consider the source and hurt people, hurt people. When people are in pain, oftentimes they lash out at others because they don't have another outlet because they feel so powerless. And so I think that it's really important to remember the source of who it's coming from and to also recognize that the bigger that you get in the world and the more difference that you make, Mm -hmm. there are just going to be people with different opinions or that kind of want to tear you down. But here's the thing. There's two ways to be successful in this world. You can be successful by working your buns off and by lifting others up and providing opportunity and by taking the high road, or you can try and gain success and significance by tearing others down. And I would encourage people to think very carefully about that choice. I want to align myself with people who are about lifting others up 
There's many, many different paths to growth. There's many, many different paths to the truth. There's many, many different paths to success, but you don't necessarily have to tear someone down who you don't know in order to build up your own name. So align yourself very carefully with, I think, people that take the high road. I love that. Thank you so much for that response. Now, there's so much we can learn from you. I just want to stress again, for those of you who are listening, the 560 people who are live with us right now and the tens of thousands more who will be listening to this on our YouTube channel or our podcast. If you are excited by what you heard, if Marie inspired you, get her book, Everything is Figureoutable. It is a beautiful book. It's hilarious. It's funny. And it will kick your butt. I love that book. So Marie, thank you for writing a really, really, really beautifully rated book. Go check out the reviews on Amazon. And also, if you're interested in Marie Folio's B-School, go to mariefolio.com. Okay. Marie, would you tell us a little bit about B-School? I just want to say a lot of Mind Valley employees are, we have about 400 employees globally and we're unique as a company because most of our managers happen to be women. And among many of our managers, many of them look up to you as a role model leader oh. and just someone they really appreciate and love. Eni, who asked the second question, she works at Mind Valley. She was a community manager. And you can see the love that my company has for you. But tell us a little bit about B-School before we get to the final question. And that final question, just for those of you who are waiting, I'm going to give you a hint. The final question is, how do we overcome? We're going to be talking about how to overcome situations where we lack time and we lack money. Okay, but first, Marie, yes. if you could tell us about your B-School product. Absolutely. So a while back, I would say when I first started off, I used to engage with so many small business owners who were like me, who don't have an MBA, didn't have piles of money sitting around to do a startup and didn't really want to go the traditional route. They had something they believed in that they wanted to sell and put out into the world, but marketing and sales like that just felt too overwhelming. And vision, I would meet people again and again who were like, oh, I'm just the ideas person. Someone else should handle the marketing and the business side of stuff. And vision. I wanted to take these mostly women, not all, but mostly women, and lovingly shake the shit out of them because I'm like, no, the marketing and the sales is the lifeblood of this beautiful idea you have. And they had all of these mistaken notions that you had to be aggressive, that you had to be pushy, that you had to be manipulative or unethical in order to effectively market your business. And I was like, no. I know a completely different way where the best of you comes out, where your listening skills, your empathy, your compassion, your creativity, your generosity, if you pour all of that into your marketing, you know what? The selling actually takes care of itself. And when I looked in the marketplace, there was no one teaching about business in the way that I thought it could be taught in a way that tapped into your values and your soul. And that also was effective as and so I built this program over 12 years ago. We've had entrepreneurs from over 600 different industries from 140 plus countries, 64,000 grads. And every single year, people can come back and do it for free because I am that committed to people creating a business and life that they love. It's not a trite tagline. I literally believe it. And the notion of B-School is make money, change the world. How do you share your products and services in such a way that it doesn't just benefit you, but of course you earn great money. I love money. Most people I know, entrepreneurs love money. We should embrace it and celebrate it. But that also creates a positive difference and leaves a real legacy in terms of people and the planet and some of the other things that people really care deeply about. We need the diversity wow. of perspectives, the diversity of passions if we're going to create the world that we most want to live in together. So if I can do my part empowering small business owners to understand how to 
just really become a marketing maven and love it and get the best results for the least amount of effort dialing up on their integrity. That's what we do in the program. And I'll just share this join bschool.com. We have a lot of free training. It's awesome. And if you go there, you can check out, we have free business workshops coming up, a lot of free stuff that you can take advantage of. Even if you never decide to join B-School, you'll get so much value out of the free education. um, How do we spell that, Marie? B-School.com? Oh, joinbschool.com. Okay. That's where all the free training is going to kind of be shared in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, so that's the program. We've been doing it for 12 years. It's super fun. We have an enormous community. It's just, it's great. So that's that. But then that big question at the end, overcoming a lack of time and money. Do we want to talk about that? Absolutely. I just want to make sure I got the right URL. Okay, here it is. Joinbschool.com. So it's J-O-I-N-B school, S-C-H-O-O-L.com. Awesome. I cannot wait. So let's go on to the final question. What do we do with barriers such as lack of time or lack of money? So most of us, when we're starting off doing any new project, I've found that some of the biggest things that can hold us back are our ideas around, we don't have the time to invest in this, or we don't have the money to get this off the ground. And I remember when I first started out, I remember thinking those same things too. I'm like, oh my gosh, if I could only create 48 more hours every day, or if I had this pile of cash, I would be able to go that much faster. And what I realized, Vision, when I really got real with myself and I really started to take a look at what the limitations were, it wasn't lack of time. It wasn't lack of money. It was actually excuses, my own excuses, my own little stories that I was telling myself about how I wasn't capable, how I didn't have enough. I wasn't digging deep enough into my own ability to be resourceful to be quite honest. And so in the book, we have a whole chapter on basically having an excuse-free life. And it's a really fun and quite challenging chapter. I will tell you this, a little behind the scenes baseball here. When I was writing that chapter and going back and forth with my editor in the publishing house, there were people who were like, you can't tell people to take full responsibility for their experience of life. And I was like, no, Yes, I can. And we literally went back and forth. I'm like, look, if people embrace this notion, if it's important enough to you, you'll make the time. If not, you'll make an excuse. It's like that will piss you off or it has the ability to piss you off. And you can come up with all of these kind of notions like you don't know my life and I have this and I have that. And it's like, okay, yep. But what if that was true like 99% of the time? So you let yourself off the hook 1%, 99% of the time that was true. How would your life change? And so I know we're kind of running out of time here, but I really encourage people, if you are someone who tends to say, I would love to get in better shape, it would be amazing to take my business to the next level. I want to transform my marriage, partnership, relationship, but I just don't have the time or we can't sign up for X, Y, or Z because we don't have the money. Please, for the love of all things holy, get everything is figure outable, read the chapter about excuses. And I promise you, I pinky swear you, you can come find me on Instagram if it's not true. It will change your life forever if you take yourself through the exercises in this book. One of the ways that we free ourselves from excuses vision is we, it's this little two word phrase that I like to teach people, the difference between can't versus won't. 99% of the time when we say, I can't do something, it's really a euphemism for won't. So I can't get in shape. It's really like, no, I won't get in shape because I'm not willing to do what it takes. Or I can't get my business off the ground. It's like, nope, I won't because I'm not willing to try new marketing ideas or whatever it is. So anytime you find yourself saying, I can't, 
swap it with won't and see if it doesn't feel more true. And I would invite you to see if nine times out of 10 won't is actually more accurate. And here's the thing. This isn't about beating ourselves up. We all make excuses from time to time, myself included. What this is about is freedom. Because when you tell yourself the truth, all of a sudden, if you're like, you know, that isn't a priority for me right now. I really, I won't do it because I don't really want to. I'll give you a quick example before we wrap up. I remember a few years ago, I kept saying like, oh, I really want to learn to speak Italian, but I can't because I don't have the time. I'm working on this book and I've got all these other things. And then when I really used this same material on myself, you know what I discovered? It was won't. It was won't. I won't learn Italian because it's not a big enough priority. How do I know that? Because after I'm done with work at night, I'm not opening up my language app. You know what I'm doing? I'm sitting on the couch watching Game of Thrones. That's how I know my priorities. And so when it comes to excuses, again, I know I'm kind of sprinkling a bunch of different things. There's a lot more that we peel into in the book. So I'd encourage you to go there, but just experimenting with swapping can't for won't will help you begin to release yourself from the constraints you put on you, especially when it comes to time and money. Thank you, Marie. And it's empowering. It's empowering because you realize that it is in your hands. It's something that you directly control. Look, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. Guys, don't forget to get the book, Everything is Figureoutable. Don't forget to go to jointheschool.com. Marie, so happy to have you here. We're going to be releasing this on our YouTube channel. We're going to be sharing this on Instagram and on the podcast. And I'm excited to spread your work to the Mind Valley audience and community. Thank you so much, Marie. And thank, thank you. you to the 550 people who are here with us live. You guys help make this an amazing event. Thank you for your votes. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for joining us today. Take care, guys. Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.